This is Samuel Srivastava, and welcome to The Shake, the podcast for all things Shaker. My grandfather has always been a great storyteller. From a young age, I was always captivated by his vivid descriptions of made-up worlds. For this reason, I interviewed my grandfather, Henry Gershman, about his memories of the Cuban Missile Crisis, a Cold War conflict between the United States and the Soviet Union, started when the Soviets placed missiles in Cuba. During the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of 1962, my grandfather lived in an apartment near an artillery manufacturing site for the Army in Troy, New York. This was thought to be a bombing target should there be a nuclear war. I spoke with my grandfather about his experience during the confrontation and what his thoughts and feelings were while it was happening. Last year, fifth grade teacher Shante Thomas self-published two children's books. Frazier's murder, despite the shock it caused the community, students wanted to show not the first occasion of deadly domestic abuse even if they cannot vote. This is Ellie O'Brien, and welcome to The Shake. This is Madeline Price, and welcome to The Shake. This is Katie Cronin, and welcome to The Shake. I'm Samuel Srivastava, and welcome to The Shake. This is Bess Vonderheit, and welcome to The Shake. At the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962, my grandfather was an engineering student at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. He lived in an apartment in Troy, 708 Jacob Street, that was two blocks away from what was thought to be one of the Soviet Union's prime bombing targets. Now, Troy, New York is just about three, four miles down the road from something called the Watervliet Arsenal, which was literally an arsenal maintained by the, uh, by the United States government. Um, and it was believed, according to all of my friends in ROTC and their commanding officers, that in terms of nuclear war, Watervliet Arsenal was a secondary target. That means as it was somewhat less valuable than New York City or Washington, but by gosh, if, if it came to it, the Russians would want to take it out. Watervliet Arsenal is currently the oldest active arsenal in the U.S. and produces much of the artillery for the Army, as well as gun tubes for mortars and tanks. When the president at the time, John F. Kennedy, issued a radio broadcast that informed the American public about the Cuban Missile Crisis, my grandfather had a revelation. They hit the arsenal and they take out everything for quite a distance around including 708 Jacob Street, and therefore including me. In that flash, it dawned on me, he's being brave, this Kennedy fellow's being brave with me, right? He, he doesn't maybe have my best interests at heart. According to nuclear historian Alex Wellerstein, if the Soviets launched a missile towards the Watervliet Arsenal, my grandfather's house at 708 Jacob Street would fall in the moderate blast damage radius, meaning that almost all residential buildings would collapse, fires would spread easily, and injuries and deaths would be widespread. As the damage would have been almost unavoidable, my grandfather said that he understood that nuclear safety drills wouldn't protect him. You know, it took us a while to realize that, like about eight or nine years. But we, we suddenly realized, gee, there really are no effective defenses. The idea of nuclear war wasn't new to my grandfather, however because he grew up during the height of the Cold War. Keep in mind that since starting in 19, I guess 1952 or so, uh, maybe even earlier, uh, people of my age had been tuned up to fear nuclear war. 
ducking cover drills were common during the Cold War, meant to teach students and children what they should do if a nuclear bomb went off. As said before, however, people mocked the drills for doing very little. How would the drill protect them from a nuclear bomb detonated right over them? My grandfather told me a story of a large flaw with these duck and cover drills. What we did was we were told, all right, guys, when, when the moment comes, get out of the classroom that we were in and go into the hall, line up against the wall, squat down, put the hands over the back of the head. Now, there was the wall, right? That was great. But right across the, from the wall was a huge window. So if we ever assumed that position and waited for the Big Bang, we would have been cut to ribbons by the flying glass. Because of these flawed drills meant to protect citizens, my grandfather distrusted those in power. It is a lesson that has stuck with me all those years. You can't trust these people, right? Because in the final analysis, you're the one, or I'm the one, who's going to get killed. They're going to do just fine. This was a lifelong lesson for my grandfather one that stuck with him long after the Cuban Missile Crisis calmed down. And, according to risk management consultant David Ropik, there were other lasting effects of these nuclear bomb threats. Ropik writes that people who have been exposed to high-level threats, such as the Cuban Missile Crisis, are likely to be more sensitive to similar threats in the future, like nuclear weapons testing in Korea. So, individuals with Cold War-era memories of nuclear fear may feel a sense of panic even decades later, my grandfather's story conveyed a similar message. Well, when, it, when things calmed down uh, and the bombs had not gone off and I was still alive, you know, I, I calmed down too. But I was always wary. And of course, like, I guess like everybody else in, of, of my age or my generation, um, I never stopped being scared. I never stopped being scared. And when I heard every so often... There were two things that, that we would do. One is there would be uh, air raid drills. You'd be right. You'd be out, out, out and about, walking down the street, riding down the highway. And all of a sudden, the sirens go, would go off. And whenever that happened, my heart would skip a beat. Through my grandfather's story, I feel like I've learned a lot about the Cold War and how tension could affect people's minds. However, I would like to say that I couldn't possibly comprehend how terrifying it must have been as listening to these things is much different than actually experiencing them. This is just one of the many stories that my grandfather has to tell, and I'm just glad that I got to listen to it. And on behalf of Madeline Price, Bess Vonderheit, Katie Cronin, Ellie O'Brien, and Alana Miller, I'm Samuel Srivastava for The Shakerite.